Sailor. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. Yay. Um, <laughs> this week we're venturing into Her Majesty's Prison Wakefield, a.k.a. the Monster Mansion. Ooh. I love that name. I know. It's so ridiculous. It's it's so, <laughs> like, over the top. <laughs> it is the biggest, like, super supermax category a prison in the country or in england mm-hmm. but calling it the monster mansion just sounds ridiculous it sounds like a kids tv show oh yeah kind of um yeah and in this episode we are going to explore the crimes of a man who has been officially classified as britain's most dangerous prisoner a serial killer robert maudsley who has killed more people in prison than he did in the outside world. And we have once again picked an offender who came from a very large family. Again, somehow. <laughs> what, what is it? We have to. I'm going to have to look for studies on large families and crime because there's something in it. I know. There has to be some sort of... <laughs> uh, this, is, this is the new dropped on his head as a baby. Like, <laughs> came from a family of 82 children. Mm. Oh, God, could you imagine? No, I don't want to. (laughs) Robert John Maudsley was born on June 26, 1953 in Toxteth, which is an inner city neighbourhood of Liverpool in England. And it's known for its very high levels of violent crime. Uh, Robert was the fourth of 12 children. Wow. 12. So many. Which like Peter Tobin, Ken McElroy, and the Sodder children, is just excessive. I'm sorry. Who needs that many children? Unless, other than farming families, where you're essentially breeding free farm labor, why have that many children? Generally not necessary, I would say. No. No. Um, So Maudsley spent most of his early childhood at Nazareth House, which was a Catholic orphanage in Liverpool um, because he'd been removed from the family home along with his three elder siblings when he was only a year old. And um, the kids were removed from the house after um, they were found to be suffering from, quote, parental neglect. Maudsley's brother describes their parents as being like strangers to the kids and the nuns who ran the orphanage as being more like their family. Um, and he said that the children actually considered themselves orphans. Um, and the siblings also described their time at Nazareth House as the happiest time of their childhood, which is so sad. Yeah, just just let that sink in. An orphanage run by nuns in the 1950s was preferable to life at home. You know you're in trouble when... Uh, that that is not a good start for any kid no the Maudsley siblings would live in Nazareth house for seven years but they were quote-unquote retrieved by their parents when Robert was eight years old the only reason they were taken back by their parents was because a couple wanted to adopt the four siblings from the orphanage but the nuns who ran the orphanage had to seek permission from the biological parents for the adoption to go through And it was at this point that the children found out they actually had living parents. They (laughs) thought their parents were dead. Dear God. And that's when the parents decided 
they wanted them back in kind of a case of no we're having them or no one's having them jesus and in the time that the eldest four had been living in the orphanage the parents had had eight more children in seven years with the family reunited the neglect that the four eldest siblings had previously experienced soon developed into full-blown physical emotional and sexual abuse um all of the children were subject to horrific abuse at the hands of both of their parents george and jean but um all of the siblings agree that the worst was reserved for robert he's since said all I remember of my childhood is the beatings. Once I was locked in a room for six months and my father only opened the door to come in to beat me four or six times a day. He used to hit me with sticks or rods and once he bust a 22 caliber air rifle over my back. Um, and he also said that he had been raped as a small child. I mean, why, why take the kids back just to treat them like that? It's, I mean, it's obviously a possession thing. Yeah, uh, power. Like we saw with Ken McElroy. Yeah. Where, you know, he wants them kids and wives and everyone are living with him, but there is possessions. They're not wanted or cared for. Yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely, yeah, a sort of twisted power dynamic. Yeah. And the children did not even have an ally in their mother. Rather than try to protect her children from their abusive father, Jean would dob them in it. If one of them misbehaved while the father was at work, she would tell him about it as soon as he returned and watch him beat the living shit out of his children. Lovely. Um, reports are a bit murky, um, which, you know, as they often are um, from, you know, 50s and 60s, but some reports claim that the elder four siblings were periodically removed from the family home and then later returned by social services, and that when they were removed, George told the other Maudsley siblings that their brothers and sister were dead. I mean, that's got to mess up the younger kids as well, every few months thinking that their siblings have died and then they come back to life. I mean, seriously, that's just twisted. Uh, Robert and his two eldest brothers, Kevin and Paul, ran away in their mid-teens. But they split up and went their own ways, losing touch with each other for a number of years. When he was 16, Robert left Liverpool and moved to London, where he would develop a massive drug habit to try and cope with the psychological scars from his childhood. He slept rough and became a rent boy to support his habit. Um... Maudsley also made several suicide attempts and would spend time in and out of psychiatric hospitals while seeking help for his mental health issues. And it was during his talks with doctors that he claimed to hear voices telling him to kill his parents. Each time he was released, he went straight back to the streets and back to sex work to fund his drug addiction. This is a huge red flag. You've got someone who quite clearly is suffering from severe mental health issues He's got the trauma, the PTSD from this horribly abusive childhood and a drug addiction. And now he's saying he suffers delusions wherein he hears voices telling him to kill his parents. Yeah. Did he slip through the cracks in the health system? This is the 70s where 
mental health wasn't taken seriously at all. Uh, you were locked up in a loony bin and left. That was kind of the way mental health was still looked at. It's just um, like you'd figure if um, if someone comes into your office as a psychiatrist and they're saying, hey, the voices are telling me to kill my parents, you might want to try to do something about that. Yeah. But equally, this is the excuse that's always given. They always say, you can't lock someone up for a crime they might commit. Yeah. But, but it's I not... think at this point, he needs locking up for his own safety and to be treated as a mental health patient, as someone with, let's say, severe trauma, he's got delusions, yeah. the drugs won't be helping that at all. Well, and that's the thing, like, it's not it's not so much, you know, you need to lock him up for a crime that hasn't happened yet. It's that you, you need to treat him for these things that could potentially lead to a crime yeah. in the future. Yeah. There needs to be, like, a different approach, you know, two different directions there. I don't yeah. know why I'm making a very dramatic hand motion which nobody can see but you (laughs) it's not like he was you know just on the streets telling the people around him i'm hearing these voices he was telling he was telling doctors doctors. yeah he was in the the psychiatric hospitals or he was in you know there talking with these psychiatrists and it's like maybe you should have listened yeah and we'll come on to this more quite soon, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, so Maudsley continued drifting around London, working as a sex worker to fund his drug habit until 1974, when at just 21 years old, um, he committed his first murder. On March 14th, 1974, Maudsley was picked up for sex by John Farrell. Farrell took Maudsley back to his flat in Wood Green in North London, and as soon as he entered the flat, Farrell produced pictures of children he had sexually abused. Maudsley flew into a blind rage and garroted him. Following the murder, Maudsley handed himself into the police, telling him that he had killed a pedophile and asking if they would help him. See, this is what leads me to believe that he slipped through the cracks in the healthcare system. You know, he's gone to the police and said, I killed this person who was abusing a child in the same way that I was abused when I was a child. Will you help me now? Yeah. Um, and obviously you cannot, can't condone murder in any way, but he's clearly been asking for help and been saying, you know, I have all this trauma, you know, from my childhood. Yeah. Do something, help me. Yeah, like clearly. Before I do something. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Um, it's it's definitely telling that his um, his victim, I mean, essentially, is sort of a, a crime of, you know, random chance in a way because it's this. Yeah. This guy who picked him up and then turns out to be a, you know, sicko. Maudsley was declared unfit to stand trial on grounds of insanity, which I think we all saw coming, and was remanded to Broadmoor High Security Psychiatric Hospital. 
formerly known as Broadmoor Hospital for the Criminally Insane, with a recommendation that he never be released. And we might have mentioned this in the Rachel Nicola episode, I can't quite remember. Yeah. But when you are remanded to a high security psychiatric hospital, such as Broadmoor, your sentence is open-ended. Um, you have no release date. Some people are eventually transferred into the penal system and others just live in these hospitals for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And um, um, Napper, Robert Napper was yes in Broadmoor, right? Yeah. So it's interesting. I was watching, I think it was Crime Files, the David Wilson documentary on BBC Scotland. Mm-hmm. And there's a high security hospital... I want to say in Stirlingshire, but it might not be. <laughs> and they interviewed uh, one of the doctors there and she said, a lot of people think that it's really easy to fake being insane mm-hmm. and that people will do it to get a cushy sentence. But it does, it's actually really rare because your sentence is open-ended and you have to keep up the pretense of being criminally insane, which... I feel like that'd yeah. be really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's doable for a few days, but for, for the rest of your life, it's for quite For 30 difficult. years? Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. So there's actually really low levels of people faking being insane to try and get... Uh, uh, like a trial or... Or sentence. to try and not stand trial as yeah. being insane. For the first three years of his sentence, Maudsley, by all reports, just kind of kept his head down. But then in 1977, he and fellow inmate David Cheeseman, which is a name. That is is the best name ever. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So he and David Cheeseman... Um, barricaded themselves in a room with convicted pedophile David Francis and what came next became the stuff of prison legend. Um, Maudsley and Cheeseman supposedly spent the next nine hours torturing David Francis before garroting him and stringing up his body so the guards could see the body through the small window in the door. And according to one guard, the man was discovered with his head cracked open like a boiled egg, quote, um, with a spoon hanging out of it and bits of brain missing. Lovely. Except this didn't happen. (laughs) In post-mortem reports of David Francis, there's actually none of his brain missing. It was just rumors started by guards at Broadmoor. And the report also showed that Francis' skull wasn't cracked or broken in any way. Also... If you work in a high security hospital for the criminally insane, as it was known at the time, and you have two patients lock themselves in a room with another patient, they've killed this guy, strung him up. Why is your first thought to check how much of his brain is there? Yeah. And also, like, how are these two or essentially three guys going for nine hours without being attended to in any way shape or form Mm. that's my question yeah because that's a long time when you think about it so somehow the guards 
decide to start this rumor and say that there's a brain missing and hey probably Maudsley ate the brains because yeah. logical logical conclusion yeah, i mean what else do you do yeah um so you know um but people seem to forget about cheeseman which how could they with that name um yeah. <laughs> like that should be the top of the top of the headlines cheese man tortures and kills <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny but it is it's, when you say it like that <laughs> it's it's horrible and in poor taste but it's also a little bit funny uh, kind of um, a man just made out of cheese like his head is a big wheel of cheese Oh, and he's see, running around I, with a cheese knife. I was I was picturing um like a wedge and with oh. just little so the, the the his head is at the top of the wedge and then little stick figure arms and, and legs and and then he's Were they made out of cheese strings? Oh they could be. I feel like yeah. we've got enough topic again. What would make you say such a thing? I, I I'm getting holy and I shouldn't be when, when we're talking about somebody's head being caved in. <laughs> Cannibalism. <laughs> um Right, yeah. So yeah. Cheeseman was also involved in this lest we forget. So, you know, maybe he should have been accused of similar things. Ironically, after killing someone inside a high security hospital which he was in because he was declared unfit to stand trial for murder, Maudsley, this time, was found fit for trial. And he was bizarre. Found... <laughs> I know. Like, okay, so you were unfit to stand trial for this murder, so we put you in this place where you killed someone, so now you're fit to stand trial. Sure. Just flip-flops like yeah. that, right? It's fine. I, it's... I was going to say, it's like... Obviously... He has to be punished because he murdered someone, but it's like he embarrassed he embarrassed Broadmoor. Uh, Mosley was found guilty of manslaughter rather than murder and was transferred to Wakefield Prison in 1978. Yeah. Um, now, Mosley made it very clear that he disliked the transfer to Wakefield and that he wanted to be returned to Broadmoor. Um, and he was in Wakefield for only a few weeks before... Um, his next killing spree started. So he couldn't be kept at Broadmoor because they clearly couldn't control him, as evidenced by the fact that he was able to spend nine hours torturing another patient. Yeah. Um, had he done that as a free man, he would likely have been sent to Broadmoor anyway, given his other mental health issues yeah. and uh, drug abuse problems um so because they can't send it back to broadmoor they decide that the real deal prison system is the only place they can send him so they sent him to the uk's biggest category a supermax prison and the worst of the worst are held in wakefield so this is the last resort if they can't <laughs> if they have nowhere else to send him if yeah. Wakefield doesn't work. Well, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, foreshadowing there. <laughs> a little foreshadowing there. <laughs> um, 
Some inmates claim that on July 29th, 1978, Mosley set out to murder seven people. Um, however, other reports claim that he made two small paper coffins in his cell and placed human hair in them. Because that's normal. Um, so his first target of the day was 46-year-old Salni Darwood, who was serving a life sentence for the manslaughter of his wife, Blanche. Um, Maudsley had invited Darwood to his cell, where he garroted and stabbed him before hiding his body under the bed. Um, he then attempted to lure more prisoners into his cell, but all refused. Smartly. Um, Probably what kept them alive. <laughs> yeah. One fellow inmate said, quote, they could all see the madness in his eyes. Unable to lure any more inmates into his cell, Maudsley prowled the wing for another victim, eventually cornering and stabbing William Bill Roberts to death. 56-year-old Roberts was serving seven years for sexual assault of a seven-year-old girl. Okay, sidebar. Seven years for the sexual assault of a child? No, I know. Fucking seriously? Maudsley hacked at Robert's skull with a makeshift dagger and smashed his head against the wall. Ugh. He then calmly walked into the prison officer's room, placed the dagger on the table and informed them they would be too short at the next roll call. So sassy. Yeah. But this is also kind of like um, the first murder he commits, yeah. David Francis, where he goes to the police and says, I did this. Yeah. I need help. No, it help totally me. is. And it's also like um, similar victimology because this guy was also a, a child sexual abuser. Mm-hmm. Um now, it, whether or not that's just because this is the only guy he could corner in the... See, this has been a... This is like a huge point of debate and a lot of stuff that's written about him is like... It's like it's it's kind of quote-unquote moral mm-hmm. killing because he's only killing um, pedophiles or rapists or men who commit uh, violence against women... Mm-hmm. He's in a category A supermax prison. They're the only people he has access yeah. to. That's that's all of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's if he was out in the real world and something triggered him, there's it no saying there's there's no guarantee that he wouldn't then go in and kill someone who was completely innocent, who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, like that's made pretty clear i think with his first murder that you know he was because he was he was going along in london doing sex work for a number of years right and then all of a sudden he happens to meet this guy who Mm. shows him these horrific photos in it you know triggers his psychosis and and then you know he murders him but that it could have been any one in any potential situation in theory. Yeah. That's just the one that happened. Um, right. So because he was already serving a life sentence at a category A prison, 
Um, Maudsley wasn't actually prosecuted for these two murders. Um, he was just kept at Wakefield. Um, but now he had killed more people inside prison than he had outside of prison and had majorly embarrassed the prison service because he's just going around the cell block murdering everyone and <laughs> and they didn't seem to cotton on to that. Um, yeah, he had to tell them he'd killed these yeah. people. <laughs> Once again, yeah. What's up with that? Um, so they now deemed him to be too dangerous to mix with the general population of the prison and they placed him in solitary confinement while they tried to figure out what the hell to do with him. Obviously, uh, for a prisoner who needs masses and masses of psychological help and therapy for the rest of their lives, the logical conclusion would be to send them to a high-security hospital. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't do that because the best place that could provide that kind of specialist care was Broadmoor. And he'd been mm. evicted from Broadmoor for killing David Francis. So they don't actually have anywhere to send him. And because of his suicidal tendencies, um, which is a really crude and cruel way to describe someone who is su- suicidally depressed. Yeah. I realized when I was writing this, and like reading yeah. sources, I was, had suicidal tendencies. Like, no, wait. That is someone who is very, very seriously clinically depressed. Yeah, there's, it's a, yeah. a very sort of like sanitized way of of describing mm. things. But it makes you realize that even though, even though we've moved on a lot in the way that we treat mental illness, the way that we talk about it hasn't changed much. It's a huge issue. Um, yeah. And there are a lot of organizations that are trying really hard especially with the media to change the way um mental illness is reported on and like the Mm -hmm. language that the media uses um which i think some of which especially here in the uk probably not as much in the us um has been you know catching on in the last few years Mm -hmm. but obviously there's still a long long way to go um yeah but because he is so clinically depressed uh the prison service decided that a normal solitary confinement cell uh, was out of the question as it afforded him too many opportunities to kill himself Mm. which i find very worrying because solitary confinement is known to make anyone with any kind of mental health problems so much worse yeah yeah so they didn't want to put him in a normal solitary cell. So obviously the solution that everyone would come to oh, is yeah. <laughs> like Absolutely. this is the first everyone, thing I didn't... thought of. Oh yeah, I-, I can't believe I didn't think of it. No. Um they decided to build him a special solitary cell. And calling it special just seems <laughs> it's like, oh this is we made this just for you. Yay. <laughs> um, so they built this special cell in the basement of Wakefield Prison. And it's a cell made out of bulletproof perspex 
which is like a glass compound, right? Um, it's really toughened plastic, I think. Plastic. Yeah. I'm gonna double check because I get Pyrex and Perspex mixed <laughs> up. <laughs> ones for Tupperware and ones for bullets. <laughs> yeah. So Perspex is acrylic glass, so it is plastic. Yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah, so they made it out of this high, high toughness, bulletproof perspex so he could be constantly observed by the prison staff and his his little box um measures 5.5 by 4.5 meters um and it's inside another cell the only furnishings in the cell are a table and chair which are both made of compressed cardboard which is an interesting detail. Yeah. Like, that doesn't sound like it'd be very hard wearing, but clearly it is. Uh, yeah. Unless they just replace it every month or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, toilet and sink are both bolted to the floor. And the bed is a concrete slab. Comfy. That's. I know they say that stuff like, like sleeping on a plank or on the like a hard floor is actually supposed to be really good for your back. It's not comfortable. I mean, I don't think they meant for people to take it this far. Yeah. Um, and a solid steel door opens into a small cage, which within the cell, which is encased again in thick see-through acrylic panels. And it has a small slot at the bottom through which guards um, can pass him food and other items. But guessing he doesn't get many other items. Yeah, so it's a cell within a cage within a big... No, a cell within a cell within a cage. Or it's a cage within a cell within a cell. Yeah, that as well. One of those. <laughs> it Basically, if you've seen Silence of the Lambs... It's yes. that. It's Hannibal's cell. And yeah, so he's placed in solitary in 1978. And for the first 20 years, 20 years, that's like almost two thirds. Well, that's more than two thirds of our lives. Yeah. He had no television or even book to occupy his mind. That's wild. And as we said before, this is one of the things about solitary confinement. If you are literally locked in a small room with only your thoughts, it will break you. Yeah. And most there's very few people that come out of long stints in solitary who aren't affected in some way. Yeah. And he also went 12 years without a haircut or a shave because no prison barber would go near him. And as a suicide risk, he wasn't allowed to shave himself. Right. So as we mentioned, Maudsley's glass box was supposedly the inspiration for Hannibal Lecter's cell in uh, Silence of the Lambs. And similar to the character of Hannibal Lecter, Maudsley was highly intelligent with an almost genius level IQ. And he was well read and enjoyed classical music. So this must have been a real, you know... Uh, 
sort of devastating situation where he had nothing to entertain himself. Yeah. And the press, of course, loved drawing comparisons between the two. And obviously, this perpetuated the cannibal rumours. Yeah. But remember, there was no brain missing. So he had eaten no brains. Didn't happen. Well, and like, so I was just Googling to learn more about him before we recorded this episode. And every single headline that came up from the UK news um, media was Britain's own Hannibal the Cannibal. Mm. That was it. Maybe maybe if I get close enough to the microphone, you can hear me rolling my eyes. (laughs) I'll see if I can boost that up in post. <laughs> so for a period, Maudsley was moved to Pankhurst Prison on the Isle of Wight, which have actually been passed. Isle of Wight is a gorgeous place. The prison, not so much, but the rest Probably of the not, understandably. Uh, but when he was in Pankhurst, he received regular sessions with a psychiatrist called Dr. Bob Johnson who believed that Maudsley was beginning to make quite significant progress and has since said that he was about three quarters of the way through removing the aggression and latent violence that made him such a danger. Hmm. And in the documentary series Murderer in My Family, which I highly recommend, it's on YouTube, it gives a great insight into Maudsley from those who actually knew him and Dr. Bob Johnson is very, very passionate about the work he did with Maudsley and that he isn't the most dangerous prisoner in Britain. And he says that every time Maudsley killed someone, it was his way of killing his parents and taking revenge for the abuse they inflicted upon him and his siblings. And I mean, we've said that before, he's obviously triggered by something. It's not a righteous killing spree. It's just that that's who is surrounded by in prison yeah is the you know murderers and abusers um and Maudsley has actually been quoted as saying if i had killed my parents in 1970 none of these people need have died it's pretty uh, it's so tough Mm. because like you want to be like well sure that's yeah, he's probably right, but also you don't want to um, condone the idea of killing two people oh, no, absolutely. to save, you know, future others. So, no. Um, uh, but following Johnson's report, two years into the treatment, funding funding was suddenly cut without explanation, and Maudsley was returned to Wakefield. Um, he was also, for a short period of time, moved to Woodhill Prison in Milton Keynes in southern England, um, where he also received psychiatric help and began to show signs of improvement. Um, and although he was still kept out of gen pop and technically still in solitary confinement, he was allowed to interact with the prison guards and even play chess with them. Um at both Woodhill and Parkhurst, Maudsley had access to books, music, and television, and made progress in his sessions with psychiatrists. 
his brother Paul believes that the prison service is determined to break Robert, saying, quote, Every time they see him making a little progress, they throw a spanner in the works. He spent a time in Woodhill Prison, and there he was getting on well with the staff, even playing chess with them. He had access to books and music and television. Now they've put him back in the cage at Wakefield. His troubles started because he got locked up as a kid. All they do when they put him back there is bring all that trauma back to him. Since the abrupt end to their sessions, Dr. Bob Johnson has tried to contact Robert Maudsley. And in the late 90s, he finally received a handwritten note with the words, all alone now. That's very sad. It is. Robert Maudsley is now 66 and has spent more than 40 years in solitary confinement. He is allowed out for one hour a day for exercise, but even then he is surrounded by six guards. So what? He is occasionally allowed visitors, but only three people are allowed to visit. His elder brothers, Paul and Kevin, and Paul's son, Gavin. Maudsley has been in prison for the entirety of his nephew's life. During visits from his family, they're escorted into a visitor's room in the basement by six guards. And then Maudsley is escorted into the visitor's room by six guards. And the 12 guards then stand against the walls during the visit. Jesus. Um, in March 2000, Maudsley unsuccessfully pleaded for the terms of his solitary confinement to be relaxed or um, uh, barring that he asked to be allowed to commit suicide via a cyanide capsule, um, which they didn't grant. Uh, And um, he was finally allowed a television set and books. Um, He also asked for a pet budgie, but this was denied as well. That's a bird, right? Yeah, budgerigar. Okay. Um, It's a little little pet bird. Um, in 2010, it was reported that Maudsley had made a plea to be able to play board games with prison staff to relieve his boredom. I mean, if they've got that little slot in the prison door, they can like balance a board on there and yeah. at least entertain him for an hour. Yeah, or... Maybe it's raining and he doesn't want to go to the exercise yard that day. <laughs> or like... I mean, his walls are see-through, so he can he can tell them, you know, night to E4 or whatever. Have you seen there's this meme going about of people playing uh, Knots and Crosses with their cats? Oh, so yes. <laughs> they draw the grid and then put nine treats on and wait, like, get the cat to pick a treat. I haven't seen and... any with treats involved, actually. I've just seen ones where, like, the cat, whatever, like square the cat randomly touches then <laughs> that they pick that one as the cat's like choice or whatever yeah i'm gonna try that with max this weekend <laughs> he's very lazy at the moment hmm. he likes he just comes and sits on you and sleeps and farts and that's it <laughs> sounds just like me uh- <laughs> <laughs> anyway mosley said he felt tormented in solitary confinement and that it brings back the childhood abuse he suffered, including being locked in a room for six months by his parents and repeatedly assaulted. He said, There is a lack of hope and I don't appear to have anything to look forward to. I feel no officer takes any interest in, any interest in me and they're only concerned with when to open the door 
and then to make sure I get back in my cell as soon as possible. I think an officer could stop and talk a bit, but they never do. And it's these thoughts that I think about most of the time. Um, Modsy claimed his time in solitary confinement was having an impact on his speech and that he was no longer able to speak clearly because of, you know, this lack of contact. Um, and it's also been reported that his skin is pale due to the lack of natural light. Um, that is a thing, though, the speech yeah. thing. Yeah. If, um, if you don't talk to people, eventually you do start to lose the ability to speak. Yeah. Yeah, you see that, like, sometimes with um, people in, you know, assisted nursing or, or with dementia that, like, if they don't, um interact with with people around them they just like yeah you know brain kind of starts to mm. devolve in a way uh despite his pleas to be allowed to die the prison service says that robert modsley will never be released and he will be held in his cell below wakefield prison for the rest of his natural life Robert Mardsley holds many unfortunate records of our prison system. One of which is the longest record, is the longest period spent in solitary confinement at over 15,000 days or 41 years. Jesus. Since the death of Moore's murderer Ian Brady in 2017, Mardsley has become the longest serving British prisoner and the earliest person still living to be subject to a whole of life order yeah so what do we think about all this i have many thoughts in case you hadn't guessed (laughs) and i wrote them all down well probably didn't write all of them down so one there needs to be a fuck ton more investment in mental health services for prisoners Because no matter what you think about how a prison should work, how prisoners should be treated, prison staff deserve to be safe at work. And if you have people running around with makeshift weapons who are so easily triggered from the PTSD they have, prison staff aren't safe. Also, big shout out to all our prison staff who are essential workers because nobody is talking about that. They're still having to go into work every single day. And there are epidemics in prisons with the coronavirus now. Yeah, prisons are so, really not, yeah, not our, good places to have to be right now. Our prison staff deserve to be safe at work. But I think a big part of it is he is in, Robert Maudsley has embarrassed the prison system mm-hmm. repeatedly. Mm-hmm. He was able to kill three people behind bars, one in Broadmoor, two in Wakefield. Wakefield's a monster mansion. It's the biggest cat A supermax prison in the country. It houses the most dangerous offenders in the UK. Supposedly the highest security prison in the UK. And he managed to kill two people. Not only did they not notice, they had to be told by him. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think he would ever have been put in the box if he'd kill them outside or even if he'd kill them in Broadmoor. Yeah. And I don't think he'd be classified as the most dangerous prisoner either. He's a serial killer. He's killed three people or more than three people on three separate occasions. He is a serial killer by textbook definition. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So he should be in custody one way or another. But it shows that the prison system isn't about rehabilitation, it's about punishment. And if you embarrass the prison system, you will be extra punished. Because you've shown up the flaws. Yeah. And there's always going to be the argument, is prison about rehabilitation or is it about punishment? Because in my opinion, opinion, it can't be about both. Because mm-hmm. if it's about punishment, you're not focusing on the causes of crime. You're focusing on punish them, punishing them for the crime. Whereas mm-hmm. if it's about rehabilitation, you are focusing on what caused the crime and how you can reduce the risk of reoffending. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you can't have it both ways if you're locking someone in Perspex box underground. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget yeah. this this is underground seriously it's in a it's in the basement mm-hmm. obviously yeah he has he has killed three people like he should be or four people sorry should be um or should have been incarcerated in some way shape or form for those murders but it's also very clear that before he even committed one murder, he had serious mental issues and that just weren't being addressed. And so, yeah, he probably should have just been, you know, treated in some sort of psychiatric facility and maybe things would have turned out differently. But it is, it's like he, because they didn't handle him right from the very get-go he's now you know embarrassed the prison system what he's really done is he's exposed the sort of flaws in the way that we treat people with mental illness especially in prison and um i mean obviously when he was first incarcerated it was you know 70s but yeah I I would wager a guess that it's not all that different today. You know, no, definitely not in the prison system. Like yeah. I say, the way we treat or the way we talk about mental illness is changing, but in prison, it's still going to be kind of the last thing that changes. Yeah, and yeah. in the documentary "Murder in My Family." Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it's his brother or his nephew and one of them's talking about every time he's making progress with um, a psychiatrist or any other mental health professional that, you know, that suddenly gets stopped. The cynic in me does want to be like, yep, that's because they don't want him to get better because he has to be punished continuously for showing up the prison system. But then when I come a little bit back from the left wing that's funding cuts all over the place that's the problem there's not enough money and like like i just said mental health treatment in prison is going to be one of the first things to go if they've got to cut the budget yeah yeah i mean which unfortunately is just a you know in a lot of ways it's a reflection of the things happening outside of prison systems as well yeah like you've got more more resources being invested in 
you know, dealing with with crime after the fact instead of being put into finding ways to mitigate crime beforehand, yeah. especially in terms of mental illness. And, you mm-hmm. know, it just it, it's 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 um you know, it's a public health thing. It's like if instead of treating a symptom you treat the cause yeah like it ultimately you get better results but that's harder and more time consuming and more expensive to do so governments or organizations or whatever they just they don't do it yeah and that is a case of robert maudsley britain's most dangerous prisoner uh let us know what you think do you agree with us do you think we're wrong tell us but be nice you know we're only human yeah. and you know we bruise easily we're like we're little peaches <laughs> fuzzy yeah <laughs> well i've given up shaving so you know kind of getting kind of fuzzy on the legs i have to say so i i've like shaved my legs consistently since i was about 13 but I just decided the other day in the shower, I was like, I'm feeling lazy. I'm just not going to do it. So now I'm going to see how long I can grow my leg hair. And <laughs> it's already driving me crazy, but I have committed to this. So it's happening. See, see it doesn't bother me up to a point because I don't shave my legs in winter because I'm lazy and it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> so find us on Instagram facebook join our facebook group square mile of murder the podcast come and talk to us about peaches and shaving your legs if you want yeah why not you know, we, we need some human interaction before we go completely crazy <laughs> or if you'd like to go one step further you can help support the show by signing up for our patreon and yeah. if you're following us on social media you'll have seen that we recently got our first shipment of exclusive patreon merch and it's all very exciting yes it is Actually, the last little bit is getting delivered today. Oh, hopefully. I'm excited. And uh, tiers start from just $1 or 81p per month. That is less than a can of Iron Brew. For the, the low, low price of one single beverage a month, <laughs> you could support our, you know, ambitious endeavors. Yes. <laughs> And all money that we get through Patreon is put back into the show. And lots of things. We've got lots of very ambitious plans. We're just poor at the moment. Yeah. We just just need the cash to make them happen. Yay. But, you know, also we do recognize that this is a weird time to be asking people for money. So, you know, if, if you just want to hang out with us, then... That's fine too. <laughs> yeah. This show will always be free. But yeah. you know, if if you want to help your girls out. We're not gonna object. <laughs> all patrons get regular episodes a day early. Yeah. Two dollar plus patrons get some exclusive merch. And five dollar plus patrons get bonus episodes. Yes. So head over to patreon.com forward slash forward slash. Yeah, slash. Forward slash square mile of murder for more information or to sign up. Yes. Um, and if you would like to read more about Robert Maudsley, you can read, of course, 
Hannibal the Cannibal, the true story of Robert Maudsley by Alan Warren. Um, and uh, we'll put a link uh, to this book up on our website and in the show notes um, wherever you're listening to this, um, uh, which will take you to Amazon. And if you purchase the book through Amazon, we are an Amazon um, Associates uh, program member. And if you happen to buy a book through one of our links or, you know, um, do an audio, an audible uh, free trial, we get, you know, a small fee from Amazon and it costs you nothing extra at all. It's just clicking a different link than you usually do. So that's another nice way to help us out. Yeah. So, um, and on our website, we also have a new further reading page um, that includes some of our Amazon um, associate links to uh, basically books, audiobooks, similar things that are related to um, all the cases we've covered. So that'll be updated like weekly or, um, you know, couple times a month to include all the new stuff that we've uh gone over so go there if you want to do some like really deep dives into all these these cases um because there's some good good books up there also just includes like books we've mentioned randomly in passing <laughs> yeah thank you everyone for listening thanks so and much and we'll see you next week yeah bye bye